Take your copy of God's Word and find the book of Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7 as we think tonight about the preacher's sacred calling. God has given us a new pastor, a new preacher, and tonight we want to install him as the sixth pastor of Lakeview Baptist Church. Preaching is dangerous work, especially to the preacher's ego. When our granddaughter Margaret Ann was four, we were sitting right over there, front row, and uh, it was the last song before I was to come up and preach. And I said to her, Margaret Ann, Papa's about to go up and preach. I want you to listen really, really well to the sermon today. And at the dinner table, I want you to tell me one thing that I said. She said, yes, sir. So at the dinner table, I said, Margaret Ann, what is one thing that I said in the sermon today that you remember? And she thought and thought. She said, I can't remember anything, Papa. But that night, she remembered. And she said, Papa, I do remember something you said. You said, find chapter two. So a few years later, our granddaughter Vivian, at the time about age six, was sitting on the front row visiting. And I said to her, Papa's about to go up and preach now. I want you to listen really well and tell me one thing from the sermon uh, after service today. And so she remembered. This is what she remembered. She said, Papa, you said, please be seated. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't ask that question anymore. Three strikes and you're out. Well, I've been preaching more than 50 years. In January, I'll have been a pastor 51 years. And as you know, 42 and a half years as your pastor. I've preached 6,000 plus sermons over these years. And I know that preaching done God's way is hard work. And Sunday comes every seven days. It is sweet agony. I wouldn't trade it for any other calling, but it is challenging. It is, uh, it, it calls for an expenditure of emotional and physical and spiritual energy that you cannot begin to comprehend unless you have that call of God on your life. Now our adversary, Satan, seeks to thwart the advance of the church in many different ways. Uh, he aims his weapons at preachers. If there's a preacher with a moral failure, it's really big news. Uh, if there's a pastor who has a, a wayward child, that creates issues within the church. Uh, Satan would like to cause a pastor to apostatize and renounce the faith as some very prominent preachers in recent days have done. But Satan's snares are really subtle, far more subtle than that, but just as effective. Uh, Satan has substitutes for pastors who preach. 
Satan would like pastors to be a chief executive officer and govern the church like a business. Or one of Satan's most effective ploys is for the pastor to become a chaplain. And he's, uh, he's on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, to anybody and everybody who wants his attention for whatever reason. Or Satan would have a, a pastor to become a political activist, whether of the left or the right. Satan has led many pastors to become life coaches, show up on Sunday and a few tips about how to get along with your kids or how to balance your budget. Or Satan would have some pastor to be a civic leader. He has lots of tools in his, uh, in his tool shed to neutralize the, the effectiveness of the ministry of the man of God who serves as pastor of the church. Now, I've known Pastor Brian for a long, long time, and he knows all of these distractions are out there. He's alert to this. But I want you to know as, as the congregation that you need to not try to impose on him your ideas of what a pastor ought to be as opposed to what God's Word says he is to be. These are good things, to be a chaplain, uh, to be actively involved in the cause for biblical justice. But oftentimes, the good becomes an enemy of the best. And so tonight, from Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 10, I want to speak to you on the preacher's sacred calling. And while verse 10 is our text, I want to back up to verse 8 and just read the context here. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. And this king Artaxerxes. And he began his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month. And he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. So you do the math there. That's about a four-month journey. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. And then in verse 10, it's tucked away for us. In a very concise form, the preacher's sacred calling. It is threefold. Here it is, verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God and to teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. So let's think tonight about the preacher's sacred calling. Let's think about Brian Payne's sacred calling call from God to fill this pulpit in the years to come. First, I want you to see with me that the preacher is called to study God's Word. We see this where we're told Ezra devoted himself to the study of the law of God. Ezra set his heart on the study of the law of God. He pursued it diligently. Now, what we have here in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, is a, an Old Testament pattern of exactly what we find in the New Testament. We won't look in Acts chapter 6 because it's a very familiar passage to us. But when there arose uh, a dissension within the church in Jerusalem, uh, and some of the widows felt overlooked, and the apostles, the 12 apostles, were being 
they were being called away from their ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer to meet the needs of these widows, they said to the church, find seven men from among you and let them take care of the widows because we, the apostles, which would be the equivalent of today's pastors, I'm not saying a pastor is an apostle, but I'm just saying an equivalent of that. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, if you're gonna devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word, that means you have to isolate yourself from, on, a, on a routine basis, uh, draw aside from all the busyness of an active church and spend time with God in prayer and in the study of the word of God. So Ezra set the pattern for the New Testament church. And Ezra set the pattern for the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul was waiting to be executed, his last inspired letter, 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul said to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. The pastor's calling is to preach the word of God, but it is impossible to preach the word of God without studying the word of God. A call to preach is a call to prepare. And the man of God cannot preach cream on Sunday if he lives skim milk during the week. You must immerse yourself into the word of God and isolate yourself. Now, Pastor Brian and I have served together for four months, and I can tell you, he knows how to isolate himself to study God's Word. And that is for our benefit. Uh, whatever his schedule is, we need to honor that and uh, only interrupt him unless it is absolutely necessary because it is inexcusable for the pastor to enter the pulpit unprepared. And what I've heard thus far since Pastor Brian joined our Lakeview family a second time is he's always prepared. Now, Brian, like you, like me, I'd always like to have another day, another hour to make it better. But neither he nor I will enter this pulpit unprepared. It is never, no, never, no, never okay to come to the pulpit unprepared. But Joseph Parker was a famous London preacher in the second half of the 19th century. And Joseph Parker said, if I had talked all week, I could not have preached on Sunday. That is all. Mystery there is none. I have made my preaching work my delight, the very festival of my soul. And so have I, and so has Brian. Now in the multitude of duties that come across a pastor's desk, preaching is primary. Therefore, study is a top priority. And the pastor must guard that, and you must help him to guard that. I decided a long time ago that... Uh, I would let some correspondence go for a few days. I might be negligent 
or late in returning some phone calls. You need to know, I try to return a phone call of a Lakeview member before the day's over. Don't always get to it, but I try to. If it's a former Lakeview member, when I can get to it. If it's a salesman, I never call them back because I don't want to buy anything. <laughs> what the pastor needs to sometimes be tardy in returning phone calls and answering correspondence so you can be ready to preach. You say, well, you should do, you should do all of the above. Yes, you should. But walk in our shoes for a week and you'll see how challenging that is. Just walk in our shoes. And as I said this morning, what an extraordinary blessing it is you pay us good money to study God's word. And the Bible is an inexhaustible resource for preaching. Brian, you will never, ever run out of something to say. You stick with a book. When I came here 42 and a half years ago, my goal was to preach all 66 books of the canon of Scripture. I realized in my early 40s I wasn't going to be able to do that. I wasn't going to live long enough to do that. And then I made it my goal to preach through all the books of the New Testament. And I didn't make that either. I, pr I preached through 25 of the 27 New Testament books and about 10 or 11 of the Old Testament books. It take more than one lifetime to adequately proclaim the whole counsel of God revealed in the pages of Holy Scripture. Young theologian Owen Strayan said, and I quote, the minister's study is where the church's health is decided. If the minister is weak in the study, he will be a mouse in the pulpit. If the minister is strong in the study, he will be a lion in the pulpit. We want lions, not mice, in our pulpits. Brian Payne is a lion. So, the preacher's call to study God's word. Number two, the preacher's call to obey God's word. Look again in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance, that is, the obedience uh, of the law of the Lord. Brian, this is a call to personal holiness. You know that without me telling you. The scripture says, both Old and New Testaments, the Lord speaking, be holy as I am holy. And we manifest personal holiness by our, uh, by our obedience to the clear commands and teachings found in the pages of Holy Scripture. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. And Paul the Apostle said regarding his own ministry and his own desire to live a life above reproach, we put not stumbling, we put not a stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Brian, your greatest gift to this congregation will be your own personal holiness. I know you know that. And I know you walk in holiness. One of my heroes, Robert Murray McShane, Scottish pastor in Dundee, Scotland, died at 29 
left a great legacy. Robert Murray McShane said, remember you are God's sword, his instrument, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And it is. And I pray for myself what McShane prayed for himself. Lord, make me as holy as a redeemed sinner can be made. Holiness is absolutely essential in the life of the preacher. Now, some would say a pastor's greatest contribution would be his winsome personality or his extraordinary people skills or his theological savvy and knowledge or his leadership abilities. But I want to suggest it's personal holiness. I shared this some years ago in a sermon that bears repeating again tonight. Many years ago, I was having a pity party. And I was just comparing myself and my situation and my abilities with those of some of my fellow pastors in this community. Feeling like God shortchanged me. Now, of course, he had not. That was my problem, not God's. At the time, George Madison was pastor at the Auburn Methodist Church, and I said, God, why can't I have the same kind of extraordinary people skills that George has? Walter Albritton was pastor at Trinity Methodist Church. He writes a paper, an article in the OA News, still does in retirement. Lord, I said, Lord, why didn't you make me a writer like Walter Albritton? Just murmuring against the Lord. Bob Baggett was at First Baptist. I said, Lord, Bob Baggett's such a witty person. I don't have any sense of humor at all. Why didn't, why didn't you give me a wit like Bob Baggett? And then Peter Doyle, you're here somewhere. Where are you, Peter? I saw you earlier. Yeah. 90 years old, still serving the Lord. Peter was pastor, Trinity Presbyterian. Peter studied with Karl Barth the most influential theologian of the 20th century. And I said, Lord, why can't I have the intellect that Peter Doyle has? I'm just having a big-time pity party. And God spoke to me, and this is what he said. You can be holy. You can be holy. All of us can be holy. Regardless of our intellectual or relational or other skills that we may or may not have every person can be and should be holy and no one more important than the pastor that stands in this Lakeview pulpit. In high school we read the Canterbury Tales. I remember very little about it. Chaucer said, I do remember this one line, if the gold rusts what will the iron do? If the man of God is not holy, what will the congregation be? The preacher should reflect God's holiness, and he will reflect God's holiness as he 
not only studies God's word, but obeys God's word. So we see here in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 that Ezra devoted himself first of all to the study of the law of the Lord and second to observe or obey the law of, of the Lord. Now we're talking about the preacher's sacred calling. The third thing I want you to see with me here is this. The preacher is called to proclaim God's word to the congregation. Look again in uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And Ezra devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Now, the very thing that we read here uh, in Ezra uh, is exactly what Ezra did. We see this. We'll come back to Ezra 7 in a moment. But look in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, Ezra was the religious leader who went back to rebuild, to help Nehemiah rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah was the political, political, political leader. Ezra was a religious leader. They were trying to repopulate the holy city of Jerusalem. And, and we read in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 1 through verse 3, and all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which is made up of men and women who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate. Now, how'd you like a sermon from daybreak to noon? That'd be a, be a doozy, wouldn't it? Have to bring you a snack. We'll have intermission. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the law. And so what Ezra did was he expounded the meaning of the scriptures. That's what Paul said to Timothy. I quote again from Second Timothy chapter two, Paul said, preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience. And so the pastor's responsibility is to proclaim the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, line upon line, precept upon precept. Now, when you preach the Bible, you will preach Jesus. The Bible is the word of God written. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. If we take this book and if we could do this and turn this book into a person, we would have Jesus. If we could take Jesus and turn him into a book, we would have the Bible. The pastor's calling is not to preach his opinions, his ideas, but to preach the word of God. The Word of God written and the Word of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. The preacher is like the donkey who bore Jesus into the city of Jerusalem uh, as he came in that last week, that Passion Week. They were saying, Hosanna to the Lord in the highest. They, they weren't praising the donkey. They were praising the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ who was on the donkey. And so the preacher's job is not to call attention to himself, but to point the congregation to the Savior, Jesus.
Far too many of our churches have become citadels of entertainment and amusement. The great London preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon warned, and I quote, I do not look for any other means of converting men beyond the simple preaching of the gospel and the opening of men's ears to hear it. The moment the church of God shall despise the pulpit, God will despise her. It has been through the ministry uh, that the it has been through the ministry that the Lord is always pleased to revive and bless his church. Now, Brian, your job as pastor is not to fill the pews, it's to fill the pulpit. If you fill the pulpit, pews to take care of themselves. As, as, as Christians, we should be less concerned with making our churches full of people and making sure that our people are full of God. Be sure you know the difference. So when you preach the word of God, sometimes people will be encouraged, comforted. Sometimes they'll be convicted, feel guilty. Some years ago, one of our faithful members. I'm talking about Sunday morning, Sunday night. She never miss. And uh, she's now with the Lord. I can say this now. She came to me and she said, Brother Al, I come to church. I, I want to feel good. I want you to help me feel good. I don't want to go away feeling bad. And I said, well, I called her by first name. I said, as a pastor, as a preacher, my job is, is neither to make you feel good when you come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day or to make you feel bad or guilty. My job is to preach the word of God. And the spirit of God will take the word of God. And if you are in disobedient to God, you will feel guilty. And if you're not disobedient to God, you'll feel good. You'll feel blessed. The preacher's job is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And he does that as he takes the word of God and opens the word of God and expounds the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And the spirit of God does that work of encouragement if they need encouragement or conviction if they need conviction. So how shall we preach the Bible? Well, the primary way is start with chapter 1, verse 1 and work your way systematically through a book of the Bible from beginning to end. That's not the only way. Last spring, I spent about 14 Sundays preaching not verse by verse, but verse with verse as we preached our way through Proverbs. It's hard to preach Proverbs verse by verse, but it's easy to preach Proverbs verse with verse. And then occasionally, there are sermons where you just preach verse, like this one tonight. This is just one verse. But my primary pulpit ministry, as you well know, has been... Just preach systematically through a book of the Bible. Start with chapter 1, verse 1. That has been Brian Payne's practice uh, at First Baptist Church, Fisherville, and I'm confident that's going to be his practice here as well. And he knows as well as I do that the text determines the sermon. So the preacher is called to proclaim God's word. Now, there's so much more I would like to say about that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on, on some things I might have said in another setting and talk about the length of the sermon. 
because we need to talk about that. I don't hear any complaints and haven't for years about preaching too long. But I did for the first several years. They threatened to put a big clock on the back wall so I'd know when high noon came and shut her down. I remember saying to one deacon, put it up. I'll ignore it. How long shall we preach? When I was a student at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, my preaching professor, to whom I owe a great deal of my preaching theology and philosophy, said 20 minutes is all people can take. And I was young, arrogant. I said, nope. If I preach 40 minutes instead of 20 minutes, I can teach twice as much truth in my lifetime. Now, that may sound like foolishness to you, but it made a lot of sense to me when I was a young preacher. Some of you are thinking, I wish you'd hold it to 40 minutes now. <laughs> oh, a number of years ago, Kim and I were in London, and my, our friend Alan Evans, y'all know Alan, he was on our staff for a year as an intern. Alan Evans invited me to go with him uh, to a football game. We call it soccer, they call it football. So the game was to be in, in uh, uh, Liverpool, which is about a four hour drive, northeast, northwest of London. So he and I set out early on a Saturday morning and we stopped in a little stereotypical English village where his parents lived and where he grew up. His dad joined us and went with us to the soccer game. And when we were done, we were coming back to deliver his father home. And we were driving through this little village and driving past the village green, just like you'd see in a Hollywood movie about England. And uh, there were some people gathered out there, and there was a cricket match going on. I'd never seen a cricket match in person. And so Alan said, would you like to stop and watch a little bit? So we stopped, and we were watching the cr cricket match, and... There was an elderly man there. My memory is he was 86 years of age. He was Alan's childhood pastor. Retired many years by this point. So I met him, exchanged some brief conversation with him. And then we got back in the car to take Mr. Evans home. On the way from the village green to the Evans home, Mr. Evans said, our, our pastor, he was our pastor for 38 years. And he never preached longer than five minutes. Now I thought, you know, why, why bother? Five, I mean, I'm going to get up and shave and wash my hair and put on my best clothes for five minutes. Brian, you preach till God tells you to sit down. Amen. Amen. 
how shall we preach? For years and decades now, before I preach, I pray, God, give me grace today to preach with authority, with clarity, and passion. And some of you know that, and some of you pray that for me, and I, I appreciate that. To preach with authority is to preach the Word of God because the Bible is the authoritative revelation of God to us in, in scripturated form. Whenever the pastor takes the Word of God and expounds the Word of God, he is preaching with all the authority of God. Evangelist Billy Graham said, and I quote, I found that when I present the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with authority, quoting the very Word of God, he takes that message and drives it supernaturally into the human heart. So there is the authority of the Word of God. Then there's the authority of the Holy Spirit as we ask the Holy Spirit to anoint our ministry of the Word. And then there's the authority of the holy life of the, pre of the preacher. Second, I pray for clarity. When I stand in this pulpit, Brian, when you stand in this pulpit, you want to be clear. You never want people to leave on a Sunday scratching their head, saying to themselves, well, what was the pastor trying to say today? Let them leave mad, sad, or glad, but never let them leave confused. J.C. Ryle, Anglican bishop of the 19th century, is one of my heroes. And this is what he said about those, those evangelical pastors in the 18th century, in the early 19th century in, in England. He said, they preached simply. They rightly concluded that the very first qualification to be aimed at in a sermon is to be understood. They saw clearly that thousands of able and well-composed sermons are utterly useless because they are above the heads of their hearers. They strove to come down to the level of the people to speak what the poor could understand. To attain this, they were not ashamed to crucify their style and to sacrifice their reputations for learning. To attain this, they used illustrations and anecdotes in abundance and like their divine master, borrowed lessons from every object in nature. They carried out the maxim of Augustine. This is what Augustine said. A wooden key is not as beautiful as a golden one, but if you can open the door when the golden one cannot, it is far more useful. Ryle continued, they revived the style of sermons in which Luther and Latimer used to be so eminently successful. In short, they saw the truth of what the great reformer Luther meant when he said, quote, no one can be a good preacher to the people who's not willing to preach in a manner that seems childish and vulgar to some. And when Luther was asked about that once, Luther said, and I quote, when I preach, I don't pay attention to the doctors or the magistrates. And I have 40 of those in my congregation. I have all my eyes on the servant maids and the children. And if the learned men are not pleased with what they hear, the door is open. There's a man of courage. So, make it clear. Preach with authority. 
and then preach with passion. Believe what you say. I know you believe the Bible. I know you believe what you'll be saying. Now, to preach with passion does not mean you've got to bounce around the pulpit, wave your arms, preach loudly or rapidly. I could do that at one time in my life, but that went away a long time ago. Too many birthdays. To preach with, to preach with passion means there's the fire in your bones. And you believe what you're preaching to be the eternal truth of a holy God. And you believe it to be what people need to hear from God. Now, our pastor is a learned man. We thank God for that. But better to have an unlearned man who butchers the king's English than to have a learned man who doesn't preach with passion and authority and clarity. I'd rather have someone, I'd rather hear someone preach who said, I done seen it when he's actually seen something than to say, I have seen when he ain't seen nothing. <laughs> it's all an experience of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given us such a man and tonight we want to, we're not going to ordain him. We ordained Brian 19 years ago here. But we want to pray for him and bless him as he begins this ministry in eight days. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.